morning tonight. We thank you because you've spoken in heaven. And here on the earth, we receive what you've said. We thank you for your spoken word that has now become a living word to us. And we thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name, that your word will never return unto you void. You've spoken it, you mean it, and you are bringing it to pass. And so we embrace your word tonight. We thank you for your word tonight. The stability and the surety of it. Thank you for your word. The same word with, you, with, with which you created the earth. Thank you, Father God. We honor you, we bless you, we praise you, Lord God. That your word is liberating us. Setting us free. Establishing us. Causing us to prosper. In the name of Jesus. We receive your word. We thank you for your word. We bless your name, Father God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Just take your seats tonight on this last night. Hallelujah. Amen. How's everybody tonight? <laughs> you doing all right? Good. Good, 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 good. And so on Wednesday night, we talked about identity crisis using Adam and Eve. Last night, we spoke on Jesus' temptation and how he overcame it. And so tonight, I want to speak on a new creation. And uh, hopefully, uh, cover a few things that will help us with some practical examples of how uh, people lose their identity and what we need to do, to do to regain and to recover it. And then, of course, we're going to spend much more time in praying tonight as we, than we did the previous two nights. Amen? So just give me a minute to just establish the word that will give us the basis for our praying. Now, identity. This is the foundation from which our actions flow. And there are several things that can, that can affect our identity or the way we see ourselves. Several things. Very quickly, three things I want to mention as we get started here. The first one is your mind. And that has to do with, that represents all of the thinking that you've processed. Either consciously or unconsciously. It's amazing how this thing called the mind can be so programmed by what we, by what we receive and how it, that ultimately covers or rather or affects how we see ourselves. So the mind is one that has to do with the thinking you've processed and then the heart. And this contains all the experiences that you've had. Okay? So your thinking along with your experiences. Things has happened around you or happened to you. And then the third one is revelation. Revelation here talking about the fact that where your heart and your mind meet, where they meet together, and come into agreement about a particular form of living, it creates a foundational belief system that drives you. Okay. Let, let's, let's go into some very practical examples of that. So you have... I, I was listening to um, a podcast this evening, Tim Tebow. How many of you are familiar with Tim Tebow? Good, yeah, amen, good. <laughs> this guy, in his very short career, well, he has, he's had a very short NFL career, very short. Now, you understand that Tim, in his last year at University of Florida, came out, finished school, and became a Heisman Trophy winner. This is the most coveted, the highest trophy 
or accolade that anyone in college football can ever win. So the NFL was waiting for team. I mean, he had all kinds of choices. Long story short, I think it was drafted by Denver Broncos. Was it Denver? Okay. Had a marvelous, can I say marvelous and bizarre at the same time? <laughs> marvelous and bizarre rookie career. Did things that were almost unspeakable. Won games that people thought is impossible. Had a fantastic first year career. Went to the playoff, I believe, and then, of course, all kinds of things began to happen to him. In his short career, I think four years, he played one year with Denver Broncos, plays the next three years, caught by three different teams. And right now, he's not playing at all. Think about that. Think about what that kind of expectation as to what I'm looking for in the NFL. The big contrast that they sign as a rookie. Bonuses. And within two, three years, it's all over. And so for a guy like this, if he does not understand what we're talking about tonight, when he came out of college, he sees him, he says, Tim, who are you? Heisman Trophy winner. The next year is the quarterback for Denver Broncos. Tim, who are you? I'm a quarterback for Denver. And then the next year, it was in Pittsburgh, it was in New England Patriots. I mean, it was all, I mean, it was making stops over NFL, and now it's nothing. What happened, what started as a very promising career almost crashed before it could actually begin. But the man is still standing. Because he has not allowed the label that, we, that, that, that most people identify themselves with, quarterback, uh, NFL quarterback, uh, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, Pittsburgh quarterback. Uh, he has not allowed any of those things to define him. He has allowed his relationship with God to define him. Because for most of these guys, you get to the NFL and you and you and you supposedly fail out like that, it's suicidal. The average person cannot survive that. Because they bought homes, bought cars, bought airplanes, and bought all kinds of things that they would not be able to fund two years down the road. Amen? Now, that's, that's, that's with a person that has a public life. I just gave you, Tim Tebow. Okay? Let's come to average John Doe. Young boy or girl. Who from childhood hears from those that he loves and respects. You never be anything. You're a useless boy. You're a useless girl. They're hearing that day in. Day out, day in, day out. That talks to their mind. You couple that with the experience of a few slaps every now and then. Did I not tell you not to go there? Bah! You brought this great home again? Bee! So you, the mind is now working with your heart, and in a minute, something begins formed in this young person's life to say, you know what? I'm worthless. So worthlessness becomes their identity rather than whatever God has for them in their destiny. And so they go through life struggling, wondering why they cannot make it. No, they are on the on on path to disaster unless Jesus intervenes, in, intercepts that situation and changes their lifestyle. Look at our 
legal system, a prison system. How many people, what's the percentage of people that are there that came out of single family homes? And somehow, they've been made to believe that because they were not raised in the house with father and mother, that they cannot succeed. That's what they've heard all day long, all year long, at school, everywhere they go. Therefore, something has been formed in their mind, their experience has been bad, and their revelation has come into their heart that says, you know what, I'm never going to be a success. And so they go out and live out up to that expectation. Because the labor will give them is what they live up to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You find a young lady who perhaps did not get parental love or a father's love at home. Or perhaps sees the father mistreat the mother. That mindset, the heartbrokenness, weeping and crying all day, all night. Since when I grew up, I've never been like that. But they look for love in the wrong places to avoid what they had tasted. And at the end of the day, become labeled and defined from what they're trying to run away from. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, the examples I give tonight may be way out there, but all of us have our own experiences. We have things that's defined us, that's marked us, that's labeled us. There are some people in the ministry, if you don't call them Reverend Doctor, you're in trouble. <laughs> if you say, well, what's your name? I'm Reverend Doctor. So, so, really? When did you become Reverend Doctor? Where, how, where is that on your birth certificate? No, you see, we are laughing. But what has happened in their life has come to inform them that they need those titles to be significant. So they are looking for self-worth in titles rather than in Christ. For some of us here tonight, it's shopping. We have to buy everything. We have to just do it and do it and do it. Why? Because we are trying to medicate something that is lacking. And so that shopping experience becomes a medication for it. And that could be male or female. All that is drinking. Are you following what I'm saying? But God has the final say so. And he wants you and I to be identified with him and through him. That's why I like the song that they just, the last song they just did. That's why I came up right after that song. His word is forever settled. He's ancient of days. No matter how old God is, he does not change. His means and ways of administration may, do, may change, but his character, who he is, it never changes. Now, let's go to the scriptures tonight to, 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 to allow the scripture to speak to us concerning what we are talking about. The first passage I want to go tonight, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. I'm praying that God will help us tonight not to allow the experiences, good or bad, that we've been through to define us and label us and give us the wrong identity. Identity, the, the, ident the kind of identity that is transcended that's passing away. Because if Tim Tebow put his stake on the ground as a quarterback, what will it be now? What will it be now? Amen? Judges chapter 6, 
begin from verse 3. I'm going to read quite a few uh, verses here. Judges chapter 6, verse 3. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. Verse 5. For they will come up with all with their for they will come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as the locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. We're talking about harassment. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Verse 10. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in opera, which belonged to Joash the Abirazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, do you understand what we're saying so far? This is in the time of the judges. The Israelites plant their crops, and their neighbors basically will come in and totally, completely just devastate them and spoil them. Take the harvest, take their sheep, their cattle, their livestock, everything. They just waited for them, plant it, but you won't eat it. On and on and on and on and on, until so much terror had struck the hearts of the Israelites, and we see what Gideon is doing. The Bible says, Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press. Why? In order to hide it from the Midian. Fear had become normal until Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, the wine press is not a place to thresh wheat. Absolutely not. The wine press was a place to, 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 uh, cr to crush grapes to produce wine. But in order to hide what he was doing from the Midianites, of whom they were afraid, he was doing this. Now, look at the next verse. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Wow, I thought, I thought you guys would get that. In the natural, Gideon had been so programmed by the failures, the catastrophes, the disasters of the harvest that has come in the land of Israel for so long that disaster has become normal to him. And his reaction to that is being a coward and hiding in fear. Now, right there in the fear that he was in, the angel of God came to him and didn't say, oh, are you afraid? No. 
Mm. God spoke to his destiny. Not his present condition. Not the fear that he's going through. Not the devastation that they're faced with. God, who created him, knew what he placed in him. He knew the DNA that Gideon was carrying. He said, Gideon, I'm not going to talk to you about this present condition because your life is bigger than this. Your situation is better than where you are now. Don't allow your eyes to limit you and hold you bondage or hostage to, the, to, to, to what's happening. God calls a mighty man of valor. Was God lying? But was there anything in the natural that showed that this guy was a man of valor? <laughs> Everything around him, if you could call him a name, coward. But God said, no, you're not a coward. So what's his identity? Is he going to identify with the failures and the catastrophes and the devastations and the, and the fear? Or will he identify himself with what God calls him? Is it because what happened to Gideon is what's happened to us. We have a choice tonight. We can continue to allow our circumstance to define us and label us. Or you can wake up and say, you know what? God's word concerning me will not fail. It means what it says. It says what it means. And if God has said it, no one can ever disavow it. And therefore, I'm going to stand with God and believe God. This is the way God sees us. What you just seen here in this passage is exact same way God is seeing you and I right now. No matter how terrible you failed, no matter how bad your situation has been, no matter how terrible you've blown it, it does not matter. Because God is not seeing you through your failures and your weaknesses. He understands that, he's, he's, he, understands that he comes to serve your weaknesses. Because in mighty man of God, I read that God, are you kidding me? <laughs> Go ahead. Next verse. It's not over. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? He's arguing with God. God, if you really love me, I shouldn't be sick. God, if you really love me, I should not lose my job. God, if you really love me, I should have my pocket full of money. On and on and on, the debate can continue. But I'm telling you, you should never judge your relationship with God by the transient passing things of the moment. God is bigger than the transiency of the life in which you are living. He's arguing with God. Why then has all of this happened to us? Why did we lose our boat? Why did we lose our house? Why did we lose our apartment? Why did all of this happen? The questions go on and on and on. And they are important questions. But I want to let you know, after you've lost your house or lost your apartment or your car or whatever you lost, I'm telling you, God is still God. Yes. And where are all these miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us in the hands of the Midianites. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. Oh, you didn't hear God. I, I, I'm not sure if you guys hear. The man complained, rant, and mumbled, and uh, almost like Donald Trump. <laughs> on and on and on and on and on. I just went on. God just folded his hand and allowed him to talk. 
Go in this your mind. As if the man didn't say anything. As if the man did not say anything. Go in this your mind. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Why? How is it going to happen? Have I not sent you? You think you are going by yourself? Will I send you on an errand and I will not be with you? Do I not know what I'm talking about? I've heard all your complaints, all your moments. I've heard all of those things. But I'm telling you, I'm bigger than all of those things. And I'm telling you tonight that God is bigger than all the challenges that we have. It's bigger. It's bigger. Read on. So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? I mean, can you imagine? This guy is not even giving up. <laughs> how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. Does that not sound like us? How can I get a job in the Department of Defense? I have an accent. How can I get that job? Why can I? On and on. You, you look at all the reasons why you are disqualified. Really? Really? Come on, guys. God is bigger than that. You know the rest of the story. This man, who was afraid and hiding from the Midianites, became the key and the instrument that God used to destroy them. What is God waiting for in your life? What victories is he waiting to bring forth in your life as a result of you assuming the identity that God has given you? Because you will never rise up to the challenge as long as you believe the lies of the enemy concerning you. Those lies will rob you of the courage you need in order to take up, to get up and take action. It will. Let's look at one more example. First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. Again, the context here, David is being sent to the battle to give aid to his brothers who were fighting in the, fall, in the, in the battle front. Okay? Let's just pick it up. It's a lot of reading, but let's just pick it up from verse, uh, verse 26. So now he's appeared. He's gone to the battlefront. First Samuel 17, 26. Then David spoke to the man who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, 
what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Now, then David, then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth and he a man of war from his... So, so Eliab is brother first disqualifies him. You insolent boy. What, what, are, you, are you crazy? What are you doing here? He dismissed him. Now, don't forget David's background. The day the prophet came to the house to, uh, to anoint the next king, he was not there. Neither was he invited to the, to the, to the, to the ceremony because he was already dismissed and said, this one cannot be part of God's consideration. Now he's on an errand by his father. His brother, the oldest boy that should keep, that should be the one that watch out for his own brother. What are you doing here? You, you, you useless, insolent. Get out of here. He did not accept that. Finally, his courage reached King Saul. And Saul looked at him and said, are you kidding me? What, you think this is Disneyland? Are, you, are you, think that you think we're going to get on, this is Six Flags? Get out of here, you're a youth, you're a young boy. Ah, David said, you don't understand. You guys don't, you, you guys don't know what's going on. I know who I am. I know the God that I serve. Yeah. I know whose I am. Hallelujah. Not only do I know that, let me give you some testimonies. Let me tell you about my, my memorials, the Ebenezer of how God has helped me this far. Let me just give you a few examples. And he went forth and told them. I mean, so I heard that. He said, oh, you, really? No problem. It's all yours. Listen, what I'm saying to us tonight is, we will have a thousand reasons to quit. We have a thousand reasons not to move on, not to, not, to, not to attempt great things for God because we limit ourselves by our own mind limitations. But God has a better plan for us. And all what we've been saying since Wednesday is for you and I to embrace the plan of God, so that we can go forth and excel in God. One last one, and then we're going to go into some other scriptures now. In Numbers 13, I won't read this passage. I'll just give it a, I'll just paraphrase it. Again, God brought Israel out of Egypt. We know that. And he got to Kadesh. And Moses decided to send some spies to go spy the land to bring report back so that they will know how to attack. And these guys came back with bad report. And they said something. In fact, let me just read one or uh, two of the verses. Uh, Numbers 13. Uh, to just see. Numbers 13. In verse 32. Numbers 13, 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. 
Verse 33. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Can you imagine that? Notice the phraseology. They were as grasshoppers in their own sight. How do you see yourself? That's the thing. That's, that's, that's a very important question. How do you see yourself? The theme of this verse is know as you are known. Are you seeing yourself other than how God sees you? Because if there is a disparity between how you see yourself and how God is seeing you, we have a challenge. Houston, there's a problem. So the point is, you and I should be so aligned to see ourselves the way God sees us. And that's where the new creation comes into play. Let's read Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Give me Matthew 16, 18 from the message translation. Message. Thank you. This is Jesus speaking. He said, now I'm going to tell you. Oh, give me verse 17 first. Thank you. Verse 17. Thank you. Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now, because you are in on the secret, don't forget that, verse 17, because you are in on the secret of who Jesus is, now I'm going to tell you who you are. Knowing who you are is directly connected to you knowing who he is. Psalm 36 says, in your light, we have light. It is in Jesus' light that we have revelation of who we are. That's where it starts. As a born again believer, as a new creation in Christ Jesus, we can begin to find the true identity of who God made us to be. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. Now, that is very, very true, but there are some things that you need to understand about that phraseology or that, or that verse of scripture. You need to know what it does not mean. If any man be in Christ, it's a new question. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What it does not mean for sure is that you will not have a new physical body. If you are skinny before you got born again, I'm picking the nice ones because I don't want to get in trouble. So if you are very skinny before you got born again, after you are born again, you remain skinny. You don't just get born again, you are skinny man, and then you get born again, bang, you become a balloon. No. If you are very tall before you become born again, after you are born again, you still remain, your physical body or appearance does not change. Do we all agree on that? Yes. Good. 
If you are a smart person, before you got born again, when you became born again, you, become, you don't become dumb. Smart before, smart after. Now, the opposite is also true. If you are a dummy, and nobody like that, nobody like that is here. But they're all out there. No, nobody, there's nobody like that in this room. But a person who's dumb, prior to being born again, when they got born again, they're still going to be dumb. So in that sense, all things did not pass away. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? Now, I'm trying to make a point here. I'm trying to make a point. Okay? So, 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 your physical body will not instantly change. Your mind does not instantly change. That is a given. Do you get that? If any man being in Christ Jesus is a new creation, all things are passed away, behold, all things are becoming new. So your physical body remains the same. Your mind remains the same. What changes, what changes is your spirit. The old Adamic nature totally, completely replaced with God's divine nature. In that sense, all things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. That is very, very important. And that's why the Bible talks in John 33 about being born again. A true saved person is a new creation. Hence, we have the experience referred to as being born again. Now, this is the key to your identity. The key to victory in the Christian life is learning to live from the new born again spirit instead of from the old body and mind. That's the huge difference. <laughs> the key to living the Christian life is learning to live life from your new born-again spirit rather than your unchanged physical body and mind. Huge. For some of us, we get born again, we get this understanding, we grow, we develop, we learn it, we master it. Wonderful. For others of us, it's a lifetime. So the difference between the result we are getting is how quickly do you and I begin to process the new information? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be confirmed with this world. The world thinking that says you have to be a quarterback to have significance, to have self-worth, to enjoy life and be a good person. How quickly can you, can you renew your mind to the fact that your significance is not tied into what you do Rather that your significance is tied into who you are in him or rather whose you are. Huge. Huge. So this is the journey. This is what we are learning to do on a day-to-day-to-day basis. Now, in order for me to live from my spirit, then I need to know my spirit. Oh, wow, this is so quiet. We read a scripture, uh, maybe last night or the night before, 1 Corinthians 2, where the Bible says, I have not seen, 
eyes have not, um, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But that distance have been revealed to us by his spirit. That's the key. Your eyes, have, your eyes have not seen it yet. Your ears cannot even imagine it. Your heart can't dream of it enough. The things that God has prepared. Could Adam ever have thought that God was going to bring him into a world where everything was done? No. But that's exactly what God did. He didn't have to do jack after he was there. Other than maintain what God had provided. If someone came to you now and said, God has something like that in store for you, would you believe it? Because your eyes have never seen it before. Your ears have never heard it before. It has never heard, entered the hearts of men that God is able, capable, or want or desires to do such things for us. But the Bible says those things are there. God has prepared them, but that it can only be shown us by his spirit. Now, if you want to know what your haircut looks like, what do you have to do? Is that correct? Good. <laughs> I know Pastor Charles, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you already know what it looks like. All you have to do is just rub it off and say, yeah, it's in there. <laughs> and for today, he left, so I don't have him here. Oh, Brother Alex, do. <laughs> praise God. So you look in the mirror. You know what's so amazing about that? When you look in the mirror, Brother Charles, what you are seeing in that mirror is not your head. It's a reflection of your head. Because you're, you are not a monster. There's no way your eyes can look up and see your head. So you rely on a mirror, a medium, an independent medium, to help you, to show you, to reflect to you what is in your body. And amazingly, you trust the mirror. You believe that what you saw in the mirror is the correct reflection, rendition of who you are. And based on what you see, you amend you come, you adjust, and, and, and you are satisfied. So now, in order to see my physical body, we use a physical mirror. If I want to know what God has packaged in my spirit, he also has a mirror. The book of James tells us about this mirror. Let's go there, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Yes. So for your physical body, you use your mirror. And if you want to know about your soul, I don't think it's rocket science. If you are sad, you know it now. If you are happy, you know it. Yep. Because you are not, we are always in touch with our soul. Now, James chapter 1. Verse, oh, we can start from verse 21. Okay. Start from verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22. 
be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful rehearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, this is interesting. Do you see that? Whoever looks into the word of God, the mirror, the spiritual mirror, and you see what the mirror is saying concerning your spirit, and you go out and do what you sin, the Bible says that person will be blessed in what he does. If I want to know what's in my spirit, I have to go to the word. Jesus said in John chapter 6, the words that I speak to you, they are life and they are spirit. I need to go to the word, receive the instruction or perhaps the description or the definition of what, who he says I am and that should settle it. When the Bible says I'm perfected, nothing else should add or take away from that, from that experience. God says I'm perfected, that's it, that settles it. That is if I'm born again. Again, what happens to us is we allow the things that's happening around us to, 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 to speak to us rather than allowing the word of God to speak to us. And I'm saying to us, we will always struggle if we don't find the right balance between what God says and what we're saying and, and experiencing. But the thing is, when we start lining up with what God says about us, then everything around us starts adjusting themselves. That's what happens. That's what happens. You believe God long enough, you're going to start seeing things change around you. Oh, I, I, I was thinking about this message this afternoon. I remember you, my, my brother, my brother in Lagos, Big Bone. This guy is, is a neat freak. I, listen, when I, when I say neat freak, you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. Neat freak. Up to his handkerchiefs. The way they're laid out. You, you can measure them two by three. Uh, all, and if, it, and if, it's, if it's this high, all of them will be... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Crazy guy. <laughs> His cars, every single day, even cars that are, not, that are not driven, there's a human being there that's using toothbrush to clean the engine. Every day. Am I joking? I've never seen a crazy woman being like that in my life. The car's not driven, though, Pastor. Uh, covered with cloth. With what do they call that thing that they cover cars with? No, it's not. The car cover. Yeah. Very expensive, stupid things. And every day, somebody's job is to go there, open them up, start, and shine the engine. This car's not been driven in months. Every day. Plant in his house. Somebody will go there and wipe them. And be, ah, that's... But this is the point I'm making. When you get into his house, no matter how nasty you are, he does not have to open his mouth. You look around your house, you look, you look immediately you line up. 
Instantly. No, no. He will never open his mouth and tell you to do this or that. No, he doesn't do that. But I mean, you, you get in the house, everything is like a museum, like a museum. If you are out of place, it's so obvious. You'll be so embarrassed. That, wow. That's what happens when you start lining up with God's word. Everything around you, without you, in fact, listen, you live wholly by accident than you do on purpose. Because, because now you are not even thinking about it. You are not striving to do it. This becomes who you are. It becomes natural. Exactly. And that's what God is trying to do. He's trying to add his super to our natural. And he's giving you and I all the capability to do so. We have it. You don't need anything else to be like God. Everything you need to be like God, act like God, be a child of God, you have it right now in you as a born-again believer. You have it. And so Jesus is calling on us not to just camp at the victory, but to live a triumphant life. Ah, there's a difference. Huge difference. What he did at Calvary was victory. But the result of that victory is triumph. You will know this, wrote to me, because you live in the UK. I, I think that for some part, even in the US, we, we, we did a little bit of that, Super Bowl. You see, okay, last Sunday, Falcons won a terrible, a very close, painful game. They lost. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. You can tell the Falcons fans fans around here, man. Oh, I didn't know you watch football, man. You watch football? Oh, okay. Very painful game, they lost it. So the San Diego Chargers had victory in that game. Is that correct? The moment the final whistle blew, 33-30, they had victory. That way the game is concluded. For many of us, that's where we park. What do you think happened in San Diego on the streets? After, after the game was over and they had this course, 33 30 San Diego Chargers. That's for the record. That's the victory. But the actual celebration of that victory, every clubhouse, every pub in San Diego was shouting, jumping, celebrating in great festive mood. Why? Because the victory was secured in Atlanta, but they're celebrating in California. What am I saying to you? Jesus went to the cross and obtained victory for us. But for you and I, we don't live in that victory. Even though we have it, it's ours. Our response to the victory is triumphant expectation. We are triumphant. That's what Jesus says. He has led us into triumph. Why? Because we should be in celebration mood, celebration mood all of the time. On the basis of what is obtained for us. He has obtained it. It's ours. Now we should enter into the celebration of it. And it all happens through the power of the word of God. That's where the victory is. All of it has been secured for us. All of it. 
all of them. So the question tonight is, whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the report that you will not make it? That you are not worthy? That you are not good enough? That because your ancestors failed or your grandfather failed or your sister failed or someone you knew failed, that means you have to fail? If that's the case, we are of most, we are off of, of, of all men most miserable. That's not the case. Your case is different. Like I said to you on Wednesday night, you are in a better shape than Adam was. That's the truth. Adam was only a living soul. I did not carry what you are carrying. No. Man, I'm sure Adam is asking God in heaven, man, God, why, why, why didn't you give me, give me the full package? God breathed on him. He became a living soul. Go read the book of John chapter 22. Jesus breathed on his disciples and they received the Holy Spirit. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. He gave them an equipment that set, up, set them up for life. He empowered them for life. And that's what you and I have right now. We have the greatest Holy Spirit living in the inside of us. There is no question that we have that they cannot answer. There is no situation we are in that they cannot move through. We just have to believe it and embrace it. I've given you enough. Let's stand up. Let's, let's pray. There's much more, but there's no sense in just force feeding you.